Found Live in three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to Found Live. I'm Daryl Etherington, your host. I'm joined by the sync to my menstrual cycle and co-host. Jordan, you are muted, which makes that joke really weird. <laughs> so she's going to be a little while. All right. It seems like we may have our Do technical issue. We have our technical issues resolved. <laughs> so Jordan, tell yes. us who our guest is and let's bring them on. Yeah, I'm excited to do so. So we're talking to Claire Coder. Mm -hmm. She's the CEO of Ant Flow, also the founder. Claire, it's really exciting to have you here. My period's coming very soon, so. <laughs> That's good news, John. Wait, uh, can we hear Claire now? Yes, you can hear okay, me. Thank God. I was like, holy <laughs> Are we going to go through I this? Love, I love to keep the element of surprise. Aunt Flo is in the business of surprise because sometimes you don't know when your period is coming. Um, but anyways, we are here and I'm delighted to be here with you both. Yeah, we're delighted to have you. And thanks for your patience during that. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Minor technical issue. <laughs> and my dog's hanging out like we've got anything could happen. It's like, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how we do this live. So, Claire, we typically start off with a kind of a high level TLDR for the audience about what your company does. I think we've already given some hints, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go ahead and give the elevator pitch or I guess what you normally tell people who have no idea what it is that Amflow does? Definitely. Well, once again, Daryl and Jordan, so delighted to be here. I founded Aunt Flow six years ago. I started the company after getting my period in public and I didn't have a tampon or pad. And Daryl, I'm not sure if you've ever been in this situation before, but <laughs> what happens when you don't have a period product and you unexpectedly get your period, you have to find a quarter. Right. Do either of you know where a quarter is? No. Actually, no, as soon as I get changed, I immediately try to get rid of it as fast as possible. It, uh, so Claire, I had like the perfect story for what you're talking about. I was, I had taken a bus to Paris from London with one of my like guy friends. I'm, I'm pretty gay. I was even gayer back then, like super butch. And they all thought of me as one of the boys. And I got my period on the very last, like 30 minutes of the bus trip. And I was like, Samer, I need a bathroom. He was like, hold it, bro. And I was like, can't hold it. Like got to find a bathroom. <laughs> And he was like, I can't find any Euro cents. You have to pay to get into the stalls. <laughs> yep. And I, we didn't have any money. And he was like, bro, you're being such like loser. Like, it's fine. Like, we'll find a bathroom somewhere. Like, don't worry. And I was like standing in the middle of a train station being like, I'm going to shatter the idea you have of me right now and say that I'm on my period and I need to get into the bathroom immediately. So you need to do whatever you need to do because I can't move unless it's toward the bathroom. Jordan, I love that story. It highlights how challenging it is to both have your period and also find coins to get access to necessary amenities. Uh, yeah. And so I founded this company to ensure that no one ever has to worry about getting your period in public. So what we did is we created a free vend patented tampon and pad dispensing system for period products. So instead so cool. of one of those nasty, archaic, coin-operated tampon and pad dispensers, we replaced those with our free vend tampon and pad vending solution. We're now in 23,000 bathrooms across the United States, Canada, wow. and the United Kingdom, all with the one mission to make the world better for people with periods. So cool. Wait, so let's talk about how it actually works. You're calling it a free vend. Right. 
Does that mean that everything in it is free? Like I just walk by it and I'm like, yo, hit me. Exactly. Just like toilet paper. We ask folks, you know, if toilet paper is offered for free in bathrooms, why aren't period products? They Mm -hmm. all respond to natural bodily functions. And so the way that we designed our dispenser is you press our button and out comes a 100% organic cotton tampon or pad of your choice. And then Um, You know, I'm sure you might be thinking like, holy shit. Well, now people are just going to like stand there and empty the whole dispenser. Right. Right. Uh, But that actually is not the case. We actually designed a way for it to to be a single dispense system. So businesses can sustainably offer freely accessible period products, whether it be everything from our footprint center in Phoenix, Arizona, supporting Phoenix Mercury or the Phoenix Suns, all the way to middle schools, high schools, and universities. It's really a sustainable solution with that single vend mechanism. And so it it handles, you mentioned too, like those probably you chose them on purpose, like the volume is quite different, right? In those two scenarios, like you have a school, you have like fixed volume, known quantity, and then you have like a sporting venue and it's like, who knows, right? Like however many, if it's a packed house, that's a ton of tampons you need to dispense, right? Definitely. There's tons of need. One of the things that we did when I, when I founded the company was it was actually unclear what the actual need was for mm. freely accessible period products. And what we found through a national research study with Harris Interactive is that 64% of women had left work to go get period products, which is pretty wild, but yeah. even more staggering from a school perspective. In schools, and we did a study with New York City public schools and found that by offering free period products in the bathroom, not at the nurse's office, you don't want to have to go to the nurse, right? You go to the nurse when you're sick. Menstruation is a natural bodily function. Imagine Um, going to the nurse to get your toilet paper, right? That would be weird. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for dudes. That would be awesome, actually. That's what we should do as like a tax for the last 300 years. When boys need toilet paper, you have to go to the nurse to get it. I love that. And what we found is by offering free period products in the bathroom, it increased attendance amongst girls by 2.4%. So when I founded this company, it was based on a lived experience. And then as the company has continued to grow, it's just been more and more clear that the need for freely accessible period products is uh, there and we have the data to prove it. Also, it feels like high schools and junior highs are like such a good target audience, right? Because I just remember being that age and having no idea how to track or what was, you know, when was going to hit me and you don't know your body well enough yet and the signs and all of that stuff. But I'm curious, like, I actually, I'm glad you brought up K through 12. Six states have actually passed legislation now requiring schools to offer Mm. free period products in the bathrooms. Prior, there was no requirement or expectation that period products were available anywhere within the school. So that's been actually happening as of the past three years, essentially. And Utah was the most recent state to pass that legislation with a comprehensive bill to implement free period products in the bathrooms. Next school year, Aunt Flo will be in every single K through 12 bathroom in Utah, which is really powerful. That is awesome. But the part that is a little bit, I'm still not caught up on for how Aunt Flo works is like, who is footing the bill? Right. And that's right? Actually, like they're free periods the, uh, or not free periods, but audience member asked this. So just Jordan, I no, no, we should this. shout out the audience shout member out because Stanley Lee, who wants to know that who's foot in the bill. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. like, obviously if I'm a business or a school or whatever, I'm like, okay, there's legislation or this would just be good for business. Like, but would it be good for business? Cause I was getting like $4 a day from, you know, the eight women that were paying me. 
Yeah. Mm. I also uh, picture like cartoon villain, like property owner, business owner, like smoking a cigar in his like ratty. And like, no, charge him for the tank box. Yeah. What? You want me to pay for what? And then like, <laughs> can't be that far off. Yeah. And Jordan, we know as people who menstruate, periods aren't free. Uh, You know, you still, on average, a person who menstruates will spend a minimum of $20 per month just on period care, whether it be tampons, pads, Advil, Midol, et cetera, minimum of $20 a month. But the way that we've implemented with businesses and schools and organizations that have bathrooms is we say the tampons follow the toilet paper. So whoever is responsible for purchasing the toilet paper, restocking the toilet paper, they are then also responsible for purchasing our dispensers and period products and replenishing. And from a cost perspective, let's be very clear. Implementing freely accessible period products is a very low cost, high impact solution to support your females or menstruating folks at the business or amusement park. And that's to the tune of for schools, it's about $5.00 per female student per year. $5 per female student per year. Mm. Gosh, it's a really low cost, high impact way to help girls attend more school. And we have the data to prove it. Right. So does it mean like contractors, like a Sintest or like some kind of facilities management service, this is essentially then baked into that sort of thing typically for a business. So it's almost like a B2B2B play, like, or are the people who, who is generally responsible for those costs, I guess? Yeah, we work directly with facilities managers across the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom to implement our solutions. Oftentimes, it's brought up by an end user, like a a student or an employee saying, hey, this is important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And they call up their local facilities dude that manages the bathrooms, and we work with them to implement our solution. So, yes, there are tons of janitorial sanitation companies ranging from Cintas and Georgia Pacific and Kimberly Clark. But frankly, none of them have solved for people who menstruate. And that's why I really love what we're doing at Aunt Flo. We're reimagining the bathroom space by people who menstruate for people who menstruate. So I don't mean to like buckle down on this question, but I want to understand the sales conversations, right? Because like maybe like there are women who are leading like the facilities management of, or people who menstruate who are leading the facilities management of these buildings. But like, I'm guessing there are a bunch of dudes too who are in there who are like, yeah, but like, are people really upset at my quarter vending machine? Like, yeah, high impact. I'm sure that would be easier. Or like, I'm a father of a daughter or whatever bullshit dudes say. But like, it just seems like it might be hard to like, what data do you have? Where you are like, oh, the kids will all be in school or like what, you know what I mean? Like, how do you actually make the sale there? Cause it does feel difficult. You know, we have had such a tremendous opportunity being able to work with facilities managers. And I think generally there's this overarching sentiment that men don't want to support. But what we found is that when a man has an opportunity to make a change and it is low cost and high impact, they're willing and interested in doing Mm -hmm. it. And so some of the conversations that we have are very much educational. Why does this matter? Why is this going to impact your workforce, your guests, your fans' experience? Also, sometimes we end conversations with a facility manager saying, you know, Claire, I have two daughters and I'm a single dad. Can you also tell me what I need to be doing at my house? That's so cute. Um, Which is awesome. But, you know, we do have a lot of questions on, 
you know, if menstruation comes every month, don't you just know to bring your own period products? And so we do have to educate that menstruation is an average, right? A cycle can range from 28 days to 35 on average. And there's obviously outliers to that. Um, You can have your period for anywhere from three to seven days on average. Once again, outliers to that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are doing a lot of education in the sales process. But generally what we have found is that once the opportunity to make the change is presented, facilities managers are interested and engaged. And this is across all industries and all categories from the Columbus Crew Soccer Stadium, an MLS team here in Columbus, Ohio, all the way to the entire state of Utah. Mm. Um, And we work with all of those organizations to educate and implement change. That's awesome. That's good to hear. You mentioned the regulation too. Like, what is the state of that? Like, is that something that seems to be like trending across the U.S. in general? Like, and you mentioned, you know, for for primary schools, but I don't know the state of it for anything else. Like, partly because I'm Canadian, but also partly because I'm not pen. Oh, well, yeah. don't worry, Daryl. Menstrual equity is in Canada as well. Yeah, I'll talk you a little Canada. bit about That's that. Good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, the state of the industry from a legislative perspective and a requirement perspective, back in 2018, New York and California and Illinois were some of the first states to pass legislation requiring K through 12 schools to offer free period products. That said, most of that legislation was unfunded mandates, um, and there wasn't really a clear implementation strategy for those states. Mm. We've gotten a lot smarter since 2018. Lawmakers have definitely improved how the legislation is written. And just recently, Utah was the most recent state to pass legislation, and it was comprehensive. So the legislation declared that all K-12 through bathrooms, girls' bathrooms in the state of Utah, must have freely accessible products available, period products, tampons Mm. and pads, next school year. So that's 2022, next school year. And it is the Board of Education's responsibility to implement that change. Um, So as I mentioned, six states have some legislation. It all varies a little bit state by state, but it's not just the public sector. Ann Arbor actually passed the most comprehensive legislation requirement in Ann Arbor, Every bathroom outside of the home with the building code to offer stalls Mm -hmm. also must offer free period products. Mm. So just like buildings have codes everywhere, right? Like there's a building code to separate separate building beams. We now have a building code to require freely accessible period products in the bathrooms. So that legislation is happening today and it's continuing to spread all across the U.S. and Canada and across Europe as well. It's great. Yeah. So like Daryl's talking a little bit about like timing, right? You founded this company, what, like five years ago and legislation started in 2018. You've had three years of it and it's getting better, but like, there's also a timing piece too. Like, I, are you from Ohio? Is that where you've run the business thus far? Yes. So Ontflow is headquartered in Columbus, although we have team members all across the U.S. and Europe. So I was wondering about like how the pandemic this is a little bit of a stale question, but I find it interesting because you're in Columbus, like how that affected timing too, because you're also venture backed. Do you feel like that was big for you guys in terms of investors saying like, oh, like if I'm doing all my meetings with San Francisco founders on Zoom, I can do my meetings with any founder Mm. on Zoom. You know what I mean? Like did geography become less of a barrier because of the pandemic? And do you feel like that had an impact on your business? Mm. 
you know, I can't quite pinpoint all of the barriers that I personally <laughs> had when fundraising, um, but we are really grateful to be in a fantastic capital position. To date, we've raised $11.2 million in venture capital, most recently Series A led by JLL, one of the largest publicly owned real estate owners and operators globally. So we have had tremendous support. That said, when I raised my first venture capital round back in December of 2018, by the way, never raised in December, um, but who knows? Back in December of 2018, I had just finished Techstars, the accelerator program in New York City, and all of my seed round financing came from San Francisco and New York. So yes, we're headquartered in Columbus, but back in 2018, there was not the kind of robust infrastructure that there is today here in Columbus, Ohio. So yes, we're still headquartered here and there's so much power in being headquartered here, but even still 92% of our investment has come from outside of the Midwest. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned that the is a lot of it like that investor, was it LLR? Is that what the- JLL. JLL, Jones Lang LaSalle. Gotcha. So they're a strategic investor. Probably. That's a great like, investor to have a, as a lead too, though. Yeah, like it's yeah. one, most strategic investors are like, here's $20,000. Right, like right. I'll be on your cap table, but that's yeah. a big, good lead, you know, to have. But has that become more of the makeup as you've gotten more mature as a business or like what's your what's your sort of cap table look like as you progress, I guess? We'll definitely won't be diving into specifics. That said, we have been really delighted to work with JLL because we actually built that relationship from a tenant perspective. Mm -hmm. So we actually had already signed contracts with Google and Netflix and Twitter, all large tenants of JLL. Oh, nice, yeah. um, and so we had an existing relationship with some of their portfolio. And the reason that they were so excited to invest in Ontflow as a prop tech company is because we are directly improving their real estate assets. I think for a while, Ontflow has always been one of these uncategorized, really good businesses. Mm -hmm. Are we femtech? Are we B2B SaaS? Like, no, we're not B2B SaaS because we don't have technology, but we do sell B2B. Are we prop tech? Maybe we're not prop tech. Um, but it was really fantastic this most recent round that we've been able to establish ourselves as a good business and a lot of different verticals we tackle, but PropTech is one of them where we really provide real value for real estate assets. Cool. And you mentioned too, like that there's a lot of power in being based in Columbus. So can you just expand a bit about that? Like what are the tangible benefits that you see out of being out of Ohio and Columbus specifically? Yeah, well, we're at the end of the day, hanging out in the bathrooms, right? We're a, we're a janitorial sanitation company solving bathrooms outside of the home. And just based on proximity, our neighbors are Gojo, the inventors of Purell, P&G, Kimberly Clark, Cintas. We have the powerhouses of janitorial and sanitation companies right here in our own state. Um, yeah. We're so grateful to have Gojo, the CEO of Gojo, Carrie Jaros, as one of our board advisors. And we continue to be able to attract and retain talent from the, the star players in the industry. So for that reason, it's fabulous. Additionally, we're a product company. Mm -hmm. um, so we do a lot of shipping, supply chain management. And in case you haven't heard... Columbus is one of the fantastic hubs for supply chain and logistics, yeah. um, just given our, our proximity to population and population density. So those are some of the primary reasons that Columbus is a fabulous place to build a business. 
Obviously, there's challenges, right, as we try to find and retain specific talent that has startup experience. There's like 10 companies in Columbus that are all pining for the same people. But that has really changed with remote work. We've been able to expand and hire talent where we need to, depending on what we need. Great. Yeah. I think, Jordan, was it Earl who is also in Columbus for the proximity to, to Goodyear? Because yeah. he has a tire company. And now I'm like, wait, Ooh. what is Columbus? Is Columbus the bathroom tech capital of the world? Because it sounds like yes, which no, is awesome. It's like big manufacturing. A lot and of then the, the Midwest logistics, But then the tire. Yeah, the tire one, too. And the yeah. manufacturing capacity. Like it is. I know this is this is tied to the Columbus event. So it's going to sound like we're coming off like the Columbus, Ohio Board of Trade. <laughs> but we are not. <laughs> Chamber of E-commerce, Chamber of yeah. Commerce or whatever. We are not that. We are we are just discovering this and delighted by it, frankly. But yeah, I mean, Claire, so we talked a bit about your investment experience there and then also the challenges around recruitment, but also how that's kind of being alleviated. But it sounds like, what, what about just managing and operating on the day-to-day? Like, do you have, you have a distributed or a hybrid team, it sounds like. So like, what what do you find there that's challenging or what do you find there that's kind of beneficial about that approach? Mm. Um, well, like most, prior to the pandemic, we were entirely in person at an office uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Pandemic changed everything for us. I was one of the founders that you would have never caught me saying we're going to be a remote company prior to mm-hmm. the pandemic, but our team adjusted and we really listened to each of our team members to learn what they needed and what they needed to be most successful at our organization. And we found that a remote first and remote always company is the way for us. So although we have about half of our team members still based in Columbus, Ohio, we don't have a physical office and we continue to design and develop and engineer mostly remote, although we do have engineering satellites in Cincinnati. So definitely responding to the change. And that's what startups do. We adjust to the situation. We about face and we do what we need to do. And remote work is just one of those many examples of adjusting to the situation. What about, I mean, Daryl like swept it under, like we'd already talked about it, the fundraising thing, but you mentioned a lot of barriers and like, obviously you're not going to go through all of them, but like, we also have in our notes here that you started the company at 18, right? That's tough. And I think maybe it's like not right for me to say, but I think there's a gender barrier there when there are a lot of dudes that don't go to school or drop out of school and are like, wow, you're such a visionary, you know, and I don't know that the same perception is offered to women who don't go through their graduate degree or undergraduate. So Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, like what it felt like for you. You said December was bad. So yeah, Christmas time, holidays, that makes it tough. Right. But like, what was your experience and what did you learn from that first round to the second round, right? That you kind of like took with you into raising a series A. Definitely. So some of the key learnings for me when it came to fundraising is, first of all, what venture capital was. Uh, Mm -hmm. I shared with Daryl, I'm actually originally from Toledo, Ohio. Being a founder, being an entrepreneur are not career paths that you take. Um, Additionally, a quote unquote friends and family round is like, what? Friends and family who? Yeah. Uh, and so I think- They don't have any money. They're <laughs> not going to give me any money. <laughs> um, and so I think that there's like outside of just like location barriers, gender barriers, age barriers, there's like socioeconomic barriers and also learning barriers. Like what is familiar and visually represented in your life? And so I was really grateful for the Techstars program. I had actually applied to Techstars six times. And I knew I wanted to be in Techstars because it seemed like the one way for me to expedite my learning on what venture capital was. I knew that I could build the 
Yeah. I don't want to interrupt, but how did you even find out? Like, how did you know about Techstars to begin with to even want to seek that out? Like most things, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as I was graduating high school, I was exploring alternatives to college. And one of the Google search results was the Teal Fellowship. And I started applying for the Teal Fellowship when I was 15 years old. Wow. I finally got it when I was 18. Um, but I kept applying and kept applying. And the Teal Fellowship, for those that don't know, is an alternative to college. You're awarded $100,000 to leave college or not go to college and work on your business. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mom and dad, see, I told you there's like alternatives to college. And in that Google search as well, Techstars was a program that was recommended for folks that were interested in business. And I was super interested in business. I had a mm -hmm. button company when I was in high school. I made buttons and magnets and compact mirrors. My claim to fame was being a top seller on Etsy. Did I know about venture capital and how to run a venture capital-backed company? No, but I did know how to get people excited about commoditized products on the internet. I did know how to build a brand that people were excited about. And I did know how to like hack things a little bit to be able to like trend on the internet. Um, and so those are things that really excited me. And that's really how I started to get into this world of building products and raising venture capital. But that's kind of where it started and kind of happy to talk through what that first round looked like and how that came together. But that's where it started. Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear that. So you go to the program and that's where you get the kind of lay of the land. But then how do you actually go out and secure the funds? Right. And now more than ever, there's tons of Techstars programs. There's yeah. thousands of YC-backed companies every single year, it seems yeah. like. <laughs> and so now today, it's not like you go through Techstars or YC and walk out with a check. You still have to do the work. Now, walking out of Techstars, the program, Techstars New York City Summer of 2018 program, I took 86 meetings with venture capital investors. And at the end of that, I finally closed one and a half million dollars by seed round led by Harlem Capital. They're now big wigs and super awesome. I was their first check of their first fund, yada, yada. Uh, but um, that was the process. It was grueling. And I think outside of gender or age or background or whatever, it's very clear that venture capital is a pattern matching game. Mm -hmm. And Antflow across every single item, we don't match any patterns. Right. We're in the Jan Sand business. We aren't really prop tech. I mean, we're kind of prop tech. Don't tell JLL, we're still prop tech. <laughs> um, but like, we're not femtech, although I'm a female founder. And so like, we don't match any of the buckets. We're definitely not crypto. We're definitely not whatever the hell Web3 is. And mm -hmm. so like, what are we? And then also like, quote unquote, inexperienced founder, didn't drop out of an Ivy League. Yes, I dropped out of college, but I dropped out of Ohio State. And so we aren't, we didn't match any of the patterns, which made it very challenging to raise venture capital. That said, it made us really good at running a great business. Mm. Um, and that's why raising capital now in not just equity capital, but debt as well right. has been much more accessible because we've run a good business. And now more than ever with uncertainty in the market, you have to run a good business. So that's how we are, where we're positioned today. Nice. And did you have like out the gate, were you able to demonstrate those business fundamentals were in place? Like even if you didn't have necessarily actuals yet, you, you were able to convince investors by being like, look, this is a revenue generating business and it's going to work in this way. 
Yeah. When I raised venture capital for the first time, I had a quarter million dollars in revenue and a clear path oh, for nice. the next okay. the next five. They always say that when you don't come from venture and if you don't match patterns, you have to do five times the amount of work and get half of the money. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's what I did. I, I showed that there was interest in the market for offering free period products and business bathrooms. And I did that with a very simple MVP, minimum viable product. Mm -hmm. And in one year, I did quarter million dollars in sales with me and some of my friends who would want to support with Chipotle. Like I bribed them with Chipotle and like we would all come and pack and we would do it. And that was how, that's how we got started. And we had to show traction to be able to prove to the market that there is a sentiment that folks want to make a change for their business and school bathrooms. Yeah, nice. I did notice in the... LinkedIn thing that you had the button business in high school, that there's a badge for that. So do you think, were there any like lasting lessons that that took away, that you took away from that, that you still kind of like bake into your business acumen or your leadership skills from, from that early stage even? Yeah. I think it drove our previous venture capital groups nuts, but now more than ever, it's been kind of like worked to our advantage. Mm. Um, the business fundamental is sell a great product and your CAC will be low. Right. The business fundamental is if you are spending money, make more money than you spend. Right. Those are the business fundamentals. <laughs> yeah. And when you run like any small business, you have to learn those and you have yeah. to learn that fast. And that's what I learned when founding There's a Badge for That. I made a good product. I didn't have to pay for my customers with social media ads. I just created a really good product. Uh -huh. uh, and then in addition to that, I had to buy more inventory. And so I had to sell more than I was spending. And those are still fundamentals that we operate on here at OnFlow. Now, obviously, levers are shifted a little bit based on the growth that we need to achieve and the growth that we're after. But those fundamentals are still the foundation of how we build. Great. Yeah, I think that's a, this is another moment that Jordan eagerly anticipates in the podcast. But it's what I mentioned that I used to work for Shopify. But a lot of the the businesses that were on that platform were built on exactly the things you're talking about, like in the negative sense, which is like advertising, right? Like they're advertising engines that just kind of eat dollars towards Facebook and Instagram ads in order to to stoke your growth. And it's non-organic, right? Which is like a big problem to have eventually. I mean, it's going to become a big problem. <laughs> so when you're talking about that, it just strikes me as it's not novel, right? But it must be, it's so refreshing for me to hear. And in some ways, me and Jordan and all of TechCrunch are kind of like pseudo VCs, right? Like we operate in a lot of the same principles and things for like when we're covering companies and trying to judge like, you know, how successful will this be? So was that the, your experience when you're going and talking where they were like, oh, it's refreshing that you like understand these solid business fundamentals? Or was anyone like, I don't care about that. Like I care about growth. Like, did you have to have that matching conversation? Did you have to like convince people or did you have to walk away with pe from people who are like, all I want is growth at all costs or how did, did you have any of those chats? Yeah, I think the industry has changed in the past two weeks. Oh um, yes, absolutely. Now so you're primed for ev everybody is like, this is the right business. But like two weeks ago, they were like, no, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. I think for the past essentially three to four years, we've been living in this frothy market where it is growth. It was growth at all costs. And yeah, yeah. I was really grateful to be in a position where our investors allowed me to operate a business that we determined product market fit. We had more customers coming in than we had inventory to support. Yeah. Um, and that is how 
I was able to grow the business in a sustainable way. Yes, mm-hmm. it took a lot longer, right? Like I'm at this for six years now. Yeah, um, yeah. It takes a lot longer, but but we're also going to be around for a really long time, right? We signed multi-year government contracts. We have to be around for a long time because we have an incredible business that will change the lives of people who menstruate everywhere. So it didn't make sense for us to just grow and burn out. We had to be a flame that would stay lit. Yeah until every bathroom outside of the home offers on flow. We have a lot of work to do to get there. Yeah, for um, sure. But for yeah. me, it seems like like I could foresee the inflection point being, like I could see your growth curve being sort of like a so and steady and then like a sudden large arc, like probably not too far off in the future, but you know, in the future still, right? But like the- Oh, we're on that. We're, you're on that. We're you're very much on the rocket ship, right? Like, but, I mean, but what I'm saying is we aren't gro- like we're not growing without fundamentals. Yes. Like, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. You know, it's like you can still be a rocket ship and you can still make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's the difference now. Like previously yeah. there were rocket ships that didn't make money. Now we're really focused on rocket ships that can continue to practice fundamentals and grow at a yeah. at a stellar rate. Yeah, you can show them the hockey stick graph, but be like, but all of this is money, not just like people coming on. And using our shit for free, which yeah. is what most of them are, right? And when you run a product company with engineering, it's very clear. You can't just throw a person at it. Yeah. Like, you can't just add more dollars. It takes time. You have to build products with integrity. And so we didn't really ever have the luxury of just throw another software engineer on it. Yeah. To create a mold for a physical thing, that takes three months. You cannot right. expedite that with a person. Once you are doing plastic injections, you have to wait for three months once you've mm-hmm. designed it. Um, and so we can't just throw people or, or money at problems always. We have to build products with integrity and that that allows us to build a fantastic foundation. And so when we put more fuel in our engine, we are a rocket ship with really great fundamentals and foundation. Great. And I, I did want to get into the product design part of it too, because that's, I think, maybe also unique. You mentioned when you were talking about comparables, like, you know, we're not really a tech company, but you have talked about like the hard tech problem in the vend. It sounds like you've come up with something novel there. So how do, do you go about the, the product design part of it? And how do you think about kind of product iteration into the future? Yeah, I always joke with our team. We build products that people will pay for. <laughs> um, but but in all honesty, here's how we design products. I spend a ton of time in bathrooms and I build based on lived experience and feedback in the market. So our first three dispensers, we have three launched dispensers, Model P, Model E, and Model R. It spells out period. Mm. Um, and the Model P and the Model E are two plastic wall-mounted dispensers. The Model R is a recessed metal dispenser. Gotcha. And what makes these dispensers really unique in the bathroom space, and especially in the feminine hygiene category, I put that in air quotes because like, what the hell does feminine hygiene even mean? We use the term period products. Yeah. Um, But when we look at the bathroom space, those old coin-operated dispensers have rust all over them. Why did you build a dispenser? They look like tetanus machines. They are terrifying. Right. It's terrifying. And then also, why can you not see what product you're paying for? Literally every other vending machine, you put money in and you know what's coming out. But with these previous coin operated machines, it was like you you put your money in and it's likely just going to get eaten. Um, (laughs) And so one of the, although it sounds simple, innovations that we implemented is we have a window on every single one of our period product dispensers. 
so that facility members can easily spot check, do I need to refill the dispenser? Mm -hmm. And that users, menstruators, can know what they're getting when they press the button to get a free period product. Um, So all of our dispensers have been intentionally designed with the janitor and the end user in mind. And And that's how we build products. Nice. And what about on this side of like, iteration and kind of like innovation and change like do you feel a need to be aggressive there because it seems like a lot of the things you addressed are like oh yeah like now that you've got those solved do they need to be changed on a regular basis or improved upon like do you address that that much or do you feel like we've got what we need and let's let's action on the other parts of the business Mm we're always looking for ways to improve our dispensers. And I think as technology changes and our environment changes, there will be more opportunities to improve those dispensers, Um, whether it be our world coming to a point where we are expected to have IoT enabled bathroom products, right? Um, That's been tried and tested by some of the big guys, whether it be Georgia Pacific's and motion to Kimberly Clark and Gojo's onvation systems, but not quite adopted yet. But okay. that said, that doesn't mean- I'm not mean familiar with these gonna... products. But I, I don't know that our audience is either, but can you just briefly describe? Cause I'm like, IOT, what does it do? Does it detect your phone or something? <laughs> so one of the really interesting evolutions in the bathroom space is um, how can we make the janitor's life more efficient? How can we make sure that products are consistently restocked, reloaded? And oh, I see. Right. want to make sure you're never running out of soap again. And there's been a variety of conversation around how can we connect all the devices in the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can connect all of our other devices, whether it be our phone and our wallet and whatever. Why don't we do that in the bathroom? Um, and that's a really awesome starting point and a place to think. And, you know, we're thinking about it as well at Aunt Flow, but we're waiting for the world to get to that point to be able to make sure that, you know, the janitors once again have the technology and tools that they need to be able to operate the system like that. Um, And that the languages that are um, spoken from a janitor perspective are also supported with systems like that. So a lot of considerations that have to go in, but whenever we're thinking about new products, we build what people pay for. Great. Well, smart baseline. But I also I wanted to ask in a related thing about focus. So do you ever consider, you know, applying the Venn technology to other product categories or are you like very laser focused on addressing the specific problem? And, you know, how do those conversations go? How do you make those decisions, I suppose? Yeah, we have two focus areas. It's infrastructure and education, all with the mission to make the world better for people with periods. So today, the world is not built from a built environment for people with periods. From an infrastructure standpoint, we have a lot of work to do. And what that means is making sure that all those coin-operated dispensers are replaced with OntFlow, FreeVent, tampon and pad dispensing systems. Mm -hmm. From an education perspective, that's a project that we're actively working on um, to make sure that once products are implemented, people know how to use them, Mm. that there's education around that, right? Like we're implementing in the state of Utah. And today the education in K through 12 schools has nothing about tampons. How do we make sure that people have both education and access to necessary? So all of a sudden these machines show up, but the students are like, I don't, I have no idea what this is and why, why did it come here? Yes. And especially in schools, um, frankly, there's been so many cuts so many cuts and sometimes the first thing that goes are physical education physical health and health and wellness generally for your body whether that's sex ed or maturation programs and so 
while it was originally not one of our focus areas, we are listening to our customers and we're listening to our end users and we're building products that matter to them and also products that people will pay for. Okay, great. We did have another audience question that we kind of addressed a little bit, but I would like to maybe reopen it and, and talk a bit more about it. So the question is how exposed is Aunt Flow? And I, I finally adopted your pronunciation of Aunt. I have my like, I don't know if it's my- Do you say Aunt? I say Aunt. I don't know. I don't it's know where, American, the, where the geographical distinction of ant versus aunt is, but yes, aunt flow. So, how exposed is aunt flow to the bear market? Is what the question asker has posed here. And we talked a bit about you know relative to VC, but I guess the overall, like let's say we're going into a downturn, how do you feel about that? And and what's your strategy and approach to that? Mm -hmm. I love the product that we've created because menstruation doesn't stop. Right. Periods didn't stop for a pandemic and periods aren't stopping for a downturn. They're still happening and they are still happening all the time, forever, period. Mm -hmm. um, so we are very well positioned regardless of what the market does, both from a financial perspective as well as a product perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. So does that mean, are you... Are you currently in growth mode still? Are you hiring? Like, how's the immediate impact on the business? We are hiring. If you're looking for a fantastic place to work, <laughs> uh, feel free to look at Aunt Flow. Um, most of our jobs are posted on either LinkedIn or our website. And if you don't see a job that matches what you're looking for, always reach out. You'll make nice. one up, right? <laughs> you can tell you've been selling things since you were 15 because you're just like <laughs> so charming with your delivery. So polished. I wanted to ask you about like being a leader at a company, right? Like you, you have a lot of determined energy, right? Like you can tell that you like, just know what's up and this is what we're going to do. How do you think like your team would describe you as a leader? And like, how, how would you describe yourself? Like what kind of persona do you take on as a leader? Hmm. I can tell you exactly how they would describe me because we just recently did a culture survey thanks to our incredible people team. One year ago, it was not very good at OnFlow hmm. from really? a culture perspective. I am a first-time manager. I've made that very clear. Forever, I had no idea that one-on-ones were not for checklists. I thought that one-on-ones were for checklists. Turns out that one-on-ones are really for encouraging, exciting, and right. unblocking roadblocks for your team. Mm -hmm. um, so the feedback one year ago was I was a micromanager, People didn't trust me. I could be considered erratic. And when we did that culture survey one year ago, I was really grateful that instead of the team going to the media, which has happened to so many female founders, mm -hmm. um, right. they went to me and they said, Claire, we got to make some changes. And I was really grateful for the opportunity to dig my heels in and level up as a CEO because I want to be there for the team. And gosh, it was not easy. Shout out to our entire team. If you guys are listening, you all know what we've been through. Um, and thank you. We implemented a program called Life Labs. Um, Carrier Head of People was a really strong supporter of being able to implement both management training and all team training. So we went through a Life Labs program that really helped me level up and fill in some gaps that I had no idea I even had. And we just completed our follow-up culture survey. And now our team has expressed pretty openly that there's trust across the organization. There's trust in leadership. There's trust in me. And there's a culture where we can call things out that aren't going well. It's a culture where we can celebrate when things are going well. And that is really special for me. It's actually probably one of the most proudest things that I've been able to do at Onflow is build with the team. Um, yeah. And that's, that's where we are today. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I was having a conversation with like um, boss's boss's boss, like, a you know, way up there on the chain recently. And she said to me, like, you know, you get, you get this far on your performance and that's actually like a standard, right? Like that's just the bar that's been set to like perform to what you're expected to do. And everything that comes above that in your career is soft skills. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because there are all kinds of, like you mentioned life labs and that sounds awesome. I know that at our company, we have different management training things. I know at my partner's company, they have like insane ones, like really intense with break down your personality and like share it and do trust falls and stuff. I mean, it's way over the top, but like, there's no like perfect cookie cutter system for learning that stuff. Like you just kind of try and fail a bunch of times and hopefully have the self-awareness to like learn the lesson, but it's really cool. It sounds like that you've been on that, that journey and feel like you're coming out a bit better. I mean, probably still continuing on it where we're all continuing on it. I still have so much to learn, but where we're at now is I'm just really grateful that the team has linked arms to be able to all push each other to improve. And frankly, every six months, Flow is a new company from company size, from the customers that we support. So I know that my job as a leader who is learning is not done. And, you know, for folks that are listening, if you have recommendations on what we should do next for improvement, I'm always open to that as well. Yeah. Like when you were talking about that, and especially when you're talking about, you know, the the fact that your team didn't go to the media, right? But then I yeah, think it's especially, yeah, but it's especially worthy of respect and admiration that you you brought it up yourself right like with us ostensibly the media even though you know your team didn't kind of like out you you could have just said like oh let's ignore that bad time in our history or whatever so and i we did have a comment from just somebody in the audience uh, jose cadillo who said thanks for sharing that experience claire it says a lot about your leadership style and i thought you know i just wanted to read that because it yeah. kind of what i thought about it but yeah. Is that something that you find yourself like thinking about a lot? Like, it just feels like, again, like one of those situations where it does it. I find it so frustrating to read the stories on the news about female founders that are like, well, if that was a man, like, right. yeah, Jordan reads these stories and then she's like, Daryl does that to me all the time. When I'm not yeah. even her manager. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, he's not, he's not a report, <laughs> but still he does that to me all the time. And I don't write a story about it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it, it feels like yet another thing that just like periods, just another thing that women have to kind of like have in the back of their mind that men don't. Is it something that like, probably try not to think about it too much, but is it something that you find yourself kind of worried about ever? Um, I for sure consider it and yeah. I think about it. I don't think about people specifically going to the media to complain about me, but I do think about what can I do every single day to make sure that there isn't a situation in which somebody would be inspired to do that. Um, That said, I think that there is so much opportunity to come to the CEO first, come Mm -hmm. to the manager first. And if that doesn't work on three occasions, there's outlets to make change. One of the things that I have observed, and I know I'm talking to the media right now. I know I'm talking to TechCrunch reporters right now. People are pining for stories. Yeah. And there's a story in every company, right? Every company, like, talk to us a year ago, you could have gotten seven stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and how much are those reporters also going to the CEO? How much are you, like, is there, and I know that there's focus on journalistic integrity, but I just really hope in the moment, if that ever happens for one of my founder friends, or even for me, that my team will come to me 
The journalist will come to me and we can work on it together. Give me a six month time frame and let's work on it. And then if it's still not fixed, publish that article. Right. But like bring it up first. Yeah. Yeah, we just yeah. don't usually have six month deadlines. It's the problem. <laughs> yeah, probably the journalist probably won't give you six months, but I <laughs> understand how the employee would. Yes, um, yeah, and yeah, probably yeah. should, right? And like, yeah. I mean, it's something Daryl and I like. Uh, I think talk about and think about a lot, right? Is like, I mean, we get feedback too all the time and have to give feedback, and things don't just like fix themselves. And a big thing that I've been talking about with folks at TechCrunch is just like. You have to script your wants and needs. It's something my partner taught me. It's like, if you don't say what you want and need, then you're not going to get it. Right. And so like, yeah, people are more likely to flex around you if you come and say something about it. No one's reading your mind, you know? And so like, I think that that's a a through fair that you're talking about. That's really important, not just from managers to their reports, but back in the other direction. Right. Like I can't know what you won't tell me. So. Yeah, for sure. I think that this is a pretty good place to end because we just solved corporate management. And managing up and down. It's all fixed now. So yeah, you're I'm welcome. Glad we were able to do this. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> While Claire is solving the problem of getting your period in public and making yeah. life better for people with periods. So a lot of problem solving. Yeah. And really terrific to to learn about you, Claire, and also about on flow. It's it sounds like a fantastic business that we really should have in the world. And I predict big things to come. So thanks again. Wonderful. Thank you all so much. Have a great day. Let's change the world one cycle at a time. Yeah. (laughs) Bye. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.